Hello everyone and welcome back to Hanging with Harry. Today's episode is going to be all about comedy writing, specifically for late night TV. Uh, I didn't have to go far from the tree to find the perfect guest to discuss this. Our guest today, Gabe Abelson, has been the head monologue writer for The Late Show with David Letterman and has also written for Jay Leno, Bill Maher, Tom Green, and countless others. So thanks for being with us, Dad. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i i knew i had to do this show with you because who better to discuss these things with than you who i feel like has more credits to their name than anyone else i know thank you although when your people called my people i thought can't my son call me direct do i have to go through it (laughs) now there are no people right now right (laughs) there's no people people right now yeah um So I really wanted to do this episode because I know a lot of friends that are interested in getting into this business, and I feel like you, over the years, have just taught me so much about, you know, comedy and specifically writing jokes and tips about jokes, and I just thought that information could be really useful. Maybe not even just to people trying to enter the business, but just anyone who is interested in the art of comedy, really. Um, But before we get into writing jokes specifically, I kind of want to talk about you and your career. So my first question is, you know, how did you get into this business in the first place? Um, Well, it's sort of like uh, the way you were with with sports. And from the time I was about 13 or 14, and that's when I got my first uh, George Carlin album, I sort of found a path because uh, unlike you and your sister who didn't get in any trouble in school, I was in the principal's office almost daily. And uh, I, you know, I was the class clown. I mean, this is a very sort of typical story among comics. And I didn't have any channel for it. Um, And, you know, back then there was no diagnosis like ADD or ADHD or any of that stuff. And so, um, uh, so I got in a lot of trouble. But as soon as I found comedy, uh, and I really started sort of as an amateur in high school, I really found focus in my life. And it's, it's, I've, I've been really fortunate in that that's all I've had to do for a living for 40 years now. So at these gigs, did you were was your role the same at each of these gigs, or did you have different jobs? Like, what primarily was your role at? These? Well, now you're talking about writing for television or stand up. Stand up is stand up. Stand up um, is stand up. I'm talking about you know for TV. For TV, yes. Uh, well, arguably, my first job was my most uh, significant one, the most responsibility, which was head monologue writer for David Letterman. And the right. way I got that was I was doing audience warm up as a stand-up comic, um, which is a tough gig for Bill Maher's show, Politically Incorrect. And I just happened to submit some jokes, and I got a lot of them on, and they put me on a retainer, meaning I wasn't staff, but I was getting a weekly payment. Uh, and then I started doing the same thing at Letterman, and then one day this job just kind of fell in my lap almost. Um, I'm still at an interview, but um, uh, I, so in that in that since I was, unlike all the other shows, late night talk shows where everybody works on monologue, it was just me and about 13 people that faxed me jokes the way I started, where they get paid if they sell a joke. I was on a full salary at Letterman. So I was the only one there that was focusing on monologue. Um, But I've done other uh, shows where I've acted as producer. I co-created the show Mind of Bencia, 
uh, Carlos Mencia and uh, the pilot for uh, George Lopez and some other things. So I've, been, I've, I've created shows, I've produced shows, I've written for shows, I've performed on shows. Um, so it all depends on the gig. And uh, of those gigs, which gig was your favorite and why? Oh, that's a great question because they all sort of offered something different. Um, I'll tell you my overall favorite, but uh, obviously Letterman was, was in a way the most thrilling because whereas Dave really had very little to, to contact with anyone on the staff, it was just me and him going over the jokes every day. And he was my idol coming up, you know, um, and so to be in a room with him going over the jokes every day and watching the show back in his office after the show, I mean, it was really, it was terrifying, it was thrilling, so that's, you know, in a way, my favorite, um, uh, in a sense, however, when I went to The Tonight Show, I wasn't just a monologue writer, I would write bits, sketches, commercial parodies, and it was amazing to write, I'll never forget, my first commercial parody um, you've seen the prop, the Holy Grill. It's a mm-hmm. grill that prints your favorite sandwiches with religious figures, like people were always seeing Jesus and the Dorito, that kind of thing. Anyway, um, so, you know, I wrote the sketch, and they built this set that was unreal. Um, I hired the actress. I directed the shoot. So, basically, I produced a mini film. So, I went from just writing jokes, one you know, monologue jokes, to producing entire uh, pieces and, and including some jaywalking pieces. So my responsibility wasn't as specific, but it was, it allowed me to do many different things. Okay, so all that said, my personal favorite job was probably on the new Tom Green show, only because we had such um, uh, uh, free reign to do whatever we wanted and you know tom is i mean he's brilliant he had some creative ideas and you were there you saw some of the crazy stuff that we did that you would never see anywhere on on else on tv almost this is way before well it's actually before my time too a guy named ernie kovacs who did very experimental avant-garde tv in the i think it was the 50s um but anyway so with tom i got to really go out of left field and 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 stretch and do stuff yeah good yeah so uh before we move on to writing jokes uh my last question for you in terms of being a writer during this crazy time is you know i know this time is not necessarily beneficial for anyone and is definitely hard but you know, here at Hanging with Harry, we're trying to keep things positive. So uh, has there been any good to take out of this situation for you while in quarantine uh, as a writer? Well, you know, I think the one good thing is it is allowing people to work on projects that they may not normally have as much time for. But I think a lot of people are finding, I guess I can only speak for myself, that it's very hard to focus for long periods of time, that this is a very unusual kind of stress. You know, being home, we associate with relaxing, but now it's sort of unset, not sort of, it is unsettling. Um, and so uh, while I, there are a few things that I'm, I'm, I'm getting, to, uh, getting going now, um, basically, you know, I, I think writers um, by and large should be depending on how long that this lasts in fairly good shape in the in that what we do is something that can be done 
Sure, certainly over, uh, you know, on the internet, work on the internet. Obviously, there's nothing in production right now. So that's a dead, you know, stream right there. Um, but there are others, and it's not just comedians. A lot of people are doing some very creative stuff online. So I think everybody's sort of in that uh, reinventing or, or refunneling their talents right now. Yeah. Okay, so... Before we get into specifically writing for late night TV and comedy writing, do you have any tips in general for just writing jokes? Some, maybe, you know, there's a common theme you see in just people that are trying to write jokes of a common mistake and there's just some basic tips you have or... Well, there, there's there's so many mistakes and so many tips that it's really hard to get into it now. I, I can basically tell you, uh, stand up and, and it's interesting because stand up and monologue, even though they're both comedians standing up telling jokes, are almost opposite. Because late night monologue is all about observing pop culture and politics and all external, talking about everything but you. Whereas stand-up is all about who you are and peeling back the layers of the onion and bearing your soul. And so it's a very different kind of comedy. Also with stand-up, there's really no rules as to how you present it. You want some guys are one-liners, some guys are storytellers. But in late night, there's a very, very specific structure to monologue writing, which is what I've been teaching uh, when I have time also for about 20 years. And I've been teaching stand-up for almost 35 uh, when I'm able to. Um, but with monologue writing, you know, there's all sorts of things that, that, that people who submit packets to these shows don't know that really need to know going in. And it's one of the reasons I like to teach people is, you know, I had a lot of people come to me and say, I wish I had, I had talked to you, I had studied with you before I submitted to these shows or even to the NBC Late Night Writers Workshop. It's not because I'm such a genius. It's because having done this for so long, I know the red flags. You know, it's just as important to know what not to do when submitting these packets. Right. Now, monologue jokes, nobody's going to tell you this. They should really be three lines or less on the page. Your setup should be a simple, factual statement based on a news article that's easy to digest. The information in a monologue joke has to be very simple and easy to digest. Then you have the punchline where the punch word needs to go at the end of the punchline for surprise. Jokes are all about surprise. It's like it's almost like a magic trick. It's tricking the mind. It's you think this is going to be how it works, and then all of a sudden the rug is pulled out from under your mind. Um, and and it's all about writing jokes. Is all about associations. One thing should always be reminding you of something else. And then when you can figure how to tie those two things together, that's when the perfect joke uh, pops out. I'll give you one example, just an example of a joke. <clears throat> this is many years ago when I was at Letterman during the Clinton scandal. I think we all know what Mona, who Monica Lewinsky was and what that whole scandal was about. And there was an article in the paper uh, then about, um, you can tell how many years ago when I say in the paper, uh, there's an article in the paper about how uh, when President Clinton got caught, he hired two spiritual advisors to come and pray with him every week at the White House. I thought, well, there's got to be a joke here. And I knew I wanted it to be a Monica joke because that's what we closed with every night. It was a dirty joke, but clean enough to do on CBS. And because of that, an audience will always laugh louder at the joke that is so-called forbidden. So the joke was, again, set up simple factual statement. President Clinton hired two spiritual advisors to come and pray with him every week. 
the punchline, just we need more people in the Oval Office on their knees. Okay, so not proud of it, but um, it's a good joke for illustration purposes. Now, I know I want to end up with a Monica doing that joke because that's what Dave was looking for back then. So I have to find what the handles are in the joke that I can use to tie together. Monica's one of them. The other I know is going to be spiritual advisors. So I go through a mental Rolodex of all the things that have to do with spiritual advisors and see if they tie into Monica. So they let's see, they wear robes. Maybe there's a tie in with Monica's dress and the stain. No, that's not close enough. What else they do? They drink the, the wafer, the wine. Uh, they pray. They're on their knees. And that's that light bulb moment where you found the perfect association between your two topics to tie together in an unusual way. So that's about the briefest way I can explain it. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, okay, so you kind of went over that. So specifically writing for late night TV, what tips do you have? And I, if it's not necessarily tips, can you do like a little mini workshop here? of how to get to that funny joke? Uh, it's really, uh, to do a workshop, uh, I would suggest they either take my class at Flappers Comedy Club or contact me directly because it really is something that, uh, um, uh, that there, there, there are just so many techniques and formulas that I would need to address. Um, you know, by telling you what I just told you, the surprise has to go on the end. By the way, that punchline was originally just we need more people in the Oval, uh, more people on their knees in the Oval Office. Funny, but not as funny as more people in the Oval Office on their knees. Knees is a punch word; it goes last. So, in order for me to really do sort of a workshop, I have to work with somebody, see, see their material, and then guide them. You know, uh, um, uh, as needed. Um, to go into to more here would really be very involved. Um, but I would very heavily suggest that anybody that wants to do this uh, or wants to do stand-up and, you know, with, with whoever, study with whoever you want. Um, but I really suggest getting... Uh, uh, taking a course and getting the basics. I will say one thing about late night. Yes, I do think I'm the guy to go to. Um, I have students on, working on almost every single late night show, including head writers. Um, but just make sure if you study with someone who says they teach late night and they wrote for Jay Leno, look them up on IMDb. And if their name is not in the list of writers who've worked over the years, because they list every single writer, then it's not somebody who's written for Jay Leno. They're just telling you that, and they've actually just faxed in jokes. And you need to have worked on a, write, a late night writing staff to know the politics of late night, the social aspect of it. Um, again, you know, certain things I learned to do and learned not to do. And, you know, but through my learning and my mistakes, I can help others. So they go in with a packet that's right in the strike zone. Okay, so for those who are not going into the workshop, what tips can you have in terms of writing a good joke in general? Okay, well, if you're talking about stand-up, like I said, you want it to be stuff that that's based on your life. And so you want to start by asking yourself questions about things that how how things make you feel like what what do you, what are you afraid of what really gets under your skin what really bothers you now because these are questions that are personal you're going to have 
very strong feelings about that, about things that really annoy you. And because you have strong feelings about that, you should find the germ of an idea of a joke in there. So your personal likes and dislikes and fears and, and, and all your eccentricities need to be explored and exploited. Um, and then, you know, the way to get a joke, I mean, there, there are many, again, there are too many formulas to go into. One is exaggeration, another is, but surprise is the main key to any joke. If there's no surprise, there's no laughter. All right, that's a good tip. Um, okay, so I feel like it wouldn't be right to have you on the show and not ask you to tell a few jokes. So can you give us a couple? Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, well, you know, it's hard doing jokes from your act because it's almost like a conversation with the audience. That's the other thing is there's a big difference between monologue jokes that you could read in a book that are sort of standalone. I can give you a couple examples of those and one in the act where I'm pretty much just talking to people. Yeah. I mean, you know, not definitely not to compare myself in any sense. Forget it. I won't even use them as an example. But, you know, you, you, having seen enough comics and Netflix specials, you know that it's it'd be kind of weird just doing those jokes one-on-one. -on -one. So, uh, monologue jokes. Um, I've written a few, the coronavirus thing. One thing it has been very good for for me is production wise uh on jokes there's just an endless amount of jokes and you know when people say oh that's too serious or that's too soon i mean that is our coping mechanism in life is laughter you know nothing feels better than you know you're crying and then you end up laughing when you're at a funeral and everybody bonds and it's 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 a coping mechanism so in any case, I've written a few. I said, uh, you know, everybody's paranoid now with coronavirus. In fact, a few minutes ago, Alexa told me I was standing too close. Um, I said, uh, everybody's being careful. In fact, 7-Eleven is only letting in robbers two at a time. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah. That, but, you know, all the restaurants are closed. But the drive-thrus are open, and I don't know if you've seen the lines, but the lines are crazy for the drive-thru. Yeah. Uh, it, nuts. I was at the McDonald's drive-thru, and the people at the end of the line were actually having it delivered by Postmates. Oh, my God. So these are all monologue-type jokes. If I told these jokes in a stand-up act, people would be like, what? what this? You know, there's almost like a fourth wall when you're doing a monologue. Yeah. Whereas with stand-up, the audience is half of your joke. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, trying to think of a line from my, uh, act <laughs> that would um, work. Okay. So while you're thinking of that, uh, do, <laughs> do you have any tips? 40 years, I can't think of a joke. <laughs> do you have any tips for people that are looking to enter the business? Yeah. Try something else. Um, there you no. go. Don't don't enter it in the first place. No, I you know look, stand up is a totally different world now than when I started. Uh, when I started in the early eighties, I, I could name every comic in the country. There was only a couple hundred of them. Now there are thousands. If you're not a comic, you know someone who's a comic. Um, so it's much harder. When I started, you could make a really good living as a complete unknown. 
And by the way, that, that did not exist prior to when I started. So I got in and out right during the golden age of comedy. I was, I was very lucky because um, until 1980, there weren't comedy clubs in towns around America. And that's when it started breaking. 80, 81 is when they broke all over the country. So I made a, a good living for a number of years. But now if you're starting in comedy, unless you can get to be a national headlining touring comedian with a name that can sell seats you really can't make much of a living you can't make a living period and, and stand up anymore unless you do corporate parties uh corporate events or cruise ships what about what about those who are looking to write for late night tv um well again i i, I think the uh the, the the main issue there is, you know, the thing is this, if you start in stand-up and you do your open mic nights and you bomb and you bomb and you get better, but then you bomb again, you get better, you bomb, you, you, you get good and then you get to the point where, yeah, you're passing at the comedy store, the Laugh Factory, and you get your tight five minutes and then, then you get your time on, you know, on, on uh, Conan or Fallon or whatever. Um, but the thing about late night is you only get one shot at a first impression. If you're submitting a packet to a show, that is the equivalent of you doing your five minutes for the Fallon people at the comedy store after you've already worked for two years doing open mic nights and doing smaller clubs and do it. So that's why people who who do that, who want to get into late night really should learn the ins and outs of it first, um, because if you get that packet and they see one joke that would never get on late night network, that would be enough for them to throw your packet in the garbage. And, and I always tell, one of the first things I tell my students is, just for your packet, stay away from first date subjects. That's what I call them. Um, death, disease, sexual orientation, race, religion. Stay away from these topics because if one of those is, you know, they're very hot button topics. And if one of them is oh, just over the lines to something that would never get on network, they'll look at it and go, well, this, this person, you know, clearly has no idea, doesn't watch our show, doesn't know what can get on late night, into the garbage. There's so many reasons for them to throw your packet in the garbage. That's why it's essential to learn what not to do and, uh, and to learn how to do this right before you submit the first time. Well, I think that's a really good point is the what not to do and avoiding those crucial topics. So are, are there any other things that stand out to you of yeah, big, yeah. like, don't submit this? Absolutely. Uh, one is definitely don't use puns. Uh, now, I've worked on shows where we only use puns, like uh, uh, pop-up video. Remember that, Aaron? Yeah. Um, because that's just told through words on the screen. But in, in a spoken monologue, and any stand-up comic knows this, puns will always get a groan. There's a collective conscience the audience has. They feel the need to groan at a pun. So rather than write jokes based on wordplay, you want to write jokes that create visuals. Even that Monica joke may not be a pleasant visual, but it creates visuals. And if you look at some of the jokes of these two guys, the boys, that wrote for Johnny Carson for 20 years, then they wrote for Letterman, their jokes don't even have punchlines. They just, um, they just have really, really visual... Hang on, hang on one second. Sorry. We, we got a phone ringing. I got to call you back. I'm sorry about that. No, phone I couldn't turn off. Um, uh, what was I talking about? Um, the big no-no puns. 
Oh, yeah, puns. Thank you. So creating visual imagery, I was talking about these two guys who wrote for Carson. They wrote jokes that were so funny that didn't even have traditional setups or punchlines, but they worked because they were so visual. Like, um, it was cold in New York today. It was so cold, I saw a pigeon walk into KFC and throw himself on the grill. You know, it's just, it's it's a very funny visual. They did a lot of jokes about rats. Letterman used to joke do jokes about how brave the rats were getting. They weren't on the subways anymore in New York. They were going out in broad daylight. They were brazen rats. And so these guys wrote a bunch of really funny visuals, like uh, these rats are brazen. I was down at the deli downstairs. I saw a rat climbing down a hanging salami with a knife in his teeth. You know, <laughs> it's fun. It's like, you guys should write like an animated movie, you know, like an animated feature. I mean, their stuff is just so... But that's what makes it so funny. It's so visual. There's no there's no twist there. There's no surprise. It breaks all the conventions of monologue writing, yet it's hilarious because it's so visual. So always go for the visual over wordplay. That's a huge one. Yeah. So looking back and maybe even in current times, like who do you think are some of the best comedians that you've seen? Cause, and, and maybe even know in person, because you know so many incredible comedians. But who stands out to you among the best that you know, and what do you think makes them so good at what they do? <clears throat> um, well, uh, I know you always talk about how Jay is one of the best that you've been around, right? Jay is Jay is incredible. There's no stronger nightclub comic, and and as you know, you know, he and Dave aren't exactly on the best of terms. But Dave said to Oprah a couple of years ago, Jay Leno's the strongest nightclub comedian in the country. And you can't, you, he is a force on stage. Um, you know, another one of my favorites, actually this was, I believe, Letterman's favorite comic was uh, Brian Regan. Uh, a guy who you laugh at. You don't yeah. laugh at a lot of comics my age. You laugh <laughs> at Brian. Uh, Brian's funny. Um, <clears throat> A comic who I work with all the time uh, on writing, uh, Emma Willman, one of my favorite comics. I think Emma's just genius, and she's going really far. Um, uh, um, um, I discovered this guy, and I, I don't know why I say discovered. He's super well-known in the comedy world. But it's not like when I was doing stand-up full-time and I knew every comic. There's a lot of comics I don't know. There's a guy, Jimmy Schubert. I see clips of him all the time. He's really funny. Uh, Rita Rudner has always been one of my favorite comics. Um, you know, I think Ellen is a great comic. Um, so what, is there anything specifically that they all have in common that they do so effectively that makes them great? Or do they each uh, have their own thing? Like what makes them Originality and persona. Um <clears throat> You know, you look at someone like Emma, her persona is tied into every single joke she does. Um, now, with Brian, it's it's interesting because you don't really get to know who Brian Regan personally is. Uh, but he's just sort of got this everyman thing. And, you know, and the dumb character is us, too. Um but it's just, I think he's just, he's so animated. He's a, he's a, I look at comics in three groups. Ones that are great writing, but really their persona is secondary. A guy like Seinfeld. Unbelievable. Nobody writes tighter jokes. It, but you could read them in a joke. They would be almost as funny as Jerry delivering them. Then you have other comics, who I won't name any, who are all performance. 
People think they're hilarious, but their jokes really fall apart if you were to look at each individual joke. They're just great on stage. And then there were comics, you know, like, well, the greatest of all times, like Pryor and George Carlin, that have this strong persona and also great writing skills. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to me, Brian is like that. Great yeah. performer, great writing skills. Yeah. So what would you suggest to people who are interested in this field uh, to do during this time when, you know, job opportunities may not be available and it, it's kind of hard for them to, you know, venture out? Is, is there anything that they can do from home? Um. Well, I mean, you're talking about people that just want to start out doing this? People that are already doing this? Yeah, um, I mean both. Like, <clears throat> I mean, you know, I know uh, for comics there are a lot of greeting card companies that will buy if you're looking for something to do that you can do from home. Uh, I think American Greeting Card Company uh, and that one I know will do it and other card companies too. Um, you know, a greeting card is basically a joke. The front is the setup and you open it up and that's the punchline. So one of the things you have to be able to do as a comedy writer is to be flexible. For me, going from Letterman to, um, to pop-up video, it, you know, it was a complete reverse. Like I said, now went from a law of no puns to nothing but puns. So you have to be able to, and it was a very different type of writing, you have to be able to adapt to different situations. Yes, there are opportunity, excuse me, opportunities online, and I expect there to be more. Yeah. And, you know, tons of people are, you know, making names with TikTok videos. And so there's there's plenty of opportunities to be creative. And yeah. the nice thing there, too, is, is you know, you're not... It's, it's also working out. I look at everything <clears throat> up until either you submit a packet for a show or you do a five-minute spot for the you know, booking producer of a television show to put Jan Fallon, whatever, until you do that five-minute set for that person from the show or submit that packet to the show you want to write for, everything else is working out in the gym. So you can't expect to write a packet for late night, you know, after you've been doing this for a few months or even for a year with no guidance and expect to get the job. You're competing on the level of the top writers in the comedy business. Late night is a very, very small field. And if you want to compete with, you have to be as good or better than them. Give the show something they're not seeing already to get hired. So if you're just doing this and trying it and think you can do it, you can't. You gotta, you, you gotta learn how to do it. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's definitely a complicated craft, but I think one of the, the main criteria for a good joke and this is something that you've always told me is just keeping it concise keeping it short you know not putting in excess words that don't need to be in the joke and you know a, a joke is the most crystallized of all comedy forms everything is born out of it like i said even a greeting card and you look at a screenplay that's got this beginning you know it's got the turn it's got the uh, resolve. So does a joke. It follows a, it follows a three act structure. So once you can write a joke, it's why I believe that everybody needs to learn how to write a joke. Whether you're a public speaker, whether you're a car salesman, it's important to know how to do this because um, 
because nothing should be completely straightforward. If you look at the scariest horror films, uh, you know, Silence of the Lambs, tremendous amount of humor in it. Uh, what uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins has some really funny lines, and it makes the horror that much more exaggerated. Some of the most intense movies, you know, I, I find some films that are serious, the few that don't have one single comedic moment, I think suffer because of it, and they usually get called out on it. So I think no matter what you do, especially in any kind of writing, if you're ed- edit, you know, if you write editorials, if you're a columnist, you need to know how to write a joke, the most condensed form of comedy. So, um, yes, and and the structure, like I said, much more important for late night than it is for stand-up. Some stand-ups go into it, they're naturally funny people, and they're naturally funny on stage, and they do learn how to write little by little, but they're just naturally funny. Monologue doesn't work that way. It's a craft. Monologue is by perspiration, and writing stand-up is by inspiration, inspired by all these things inside of you. Yeah. All right, well, I think it's time to put in a good word. This is a segment in each show where I share some good news just to make everyone feel a little bit better. And today's news actually revolves around Tom Hanks, who, as we know, was one of the initial celebrities, if not the initial celebrity, that came down with coronavirus. Uh, the good news, I mean, he he's recovering, which is definitely good news, but the good news is actually something else, and it's the story I found this week of an Australian boy named Corona who was being bullied, uh, received a gift from his pen pal, Tom Hanks. So the backstory on this is um, this boy named Corona reached out to Tom Hanks Uh, after learning that the Oscar-winning actor had been diagnosed with coronavirus. And his letter said something like, Are you okay? Um, I love my name, but at school people call me the coronavirus. I get very sad and angry when people call me this. Um, So this week, the boy received a response uh, from Tom Hanks, which included the Corona brand typewriter Tom Hanks used while he was filming in Australia um, in the upcoming Elvis Presley biopic. And so he sent this boy named Corona this incredible looking typewriter from his movie that on it has engraved in it Corona. Um, And... uh, Tom Hanks wrote, uh, your letter made my wife and I feel so wonderful. Thank you for being such a good friend. Friends make their friends feel good when they are down. And he sent him this uh, incredible gift. So I thought that that was really cool of Tom Hanks. I wanted to share that because I think that's a great story. And yeah, there's some good going on right now. That's a really cool story. I hadn't seen that. That's a great story. And and. <clears throat> Good to hear because uh, uh, your mom and I almost named your sister Ebola. Oh my God, I almost spit out my water. <laughs> so that's when I know I've done my job. You kind of missed the mark. I, I feel like Ebola would have been uh, the way to go, but. That's what I said. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm kidding. But I guess Samantha, Samantha does the job, I guess. But Ebola would have been good. Oh, um, Ebola and malaria. That yeah. would have been you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess I got fortunate okay. there. Uh, okay. So before we go, you're just the man of so many jokes. Can you give me one more laugh out loud funny joke? You tell them to me all the time. Just uh, finish finish the show with something. One that's clean enough to tell. Um, yeah. I oh. don't know. We don't have too many rules here. It doesn't have to be that clean. 
Oh, God. Um, <clears throat> okay. So it doesn't have to be that clean. Okay. <clears throat> so a guy moves out to the country, and he's uh, unpacking his stuff from the U-Haul, and a guy in a pickup truck comes by. He goes, hey, neighbor, you're a new neighbor, aren't you? He says, yeah. You're from the city, right? He goes, yes, I am. He says, hey, having a party later at my house if you want to come. And the guy from the city says, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. And he says, okay, great. I'm just down the road. Second red house down there. Starts pulling off. Boop, jumps on the brakes, pulls back, looks at the guy in the yard. He says, oh, by the way, I should warn you. Gonna be a lot of cussing. Gonna be a lot of cursing, salty language. And the guy said, please. I'm, I lived in New York City. I've heard my share of language. I know everything in the book. Okay, you're, it's up to you. Pulls away. Boop, jumps on the brakes, pulls back in. Hey, neighbor, sorry. I should probably mention to you, there's going to be a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking. And just telling you, and the guy says, well, now you're talking my language. I can put them away. I'm used to the three martini lunch. No problem. Guy goes, okay, suit yourself. Guy pulls away, pulls back. Sorry, neighbor. One more thing I meant to tell you. There's going to be a lot of wild, crazy sex going on. I mean, crazy sex. And the guy in the audience says, well, now you're talking my language. I can definitely handle that. What time should I show up at the party? And the guy says, well, it don't matter. It's just going to be you and me. <laughs> You've never told me that one. That's good. No. Yeah. I like that one. Um, by that's the way, just to clarify, that's not a joke for late night TV. That's not what you want to do for late night TV. But that is a hilarious joke. I love that. Um, all right. I feel like that's a good a good point to end it on. So thank you so much for being here, Dad. Uh, Thanks, I appreciate son. it. Thanks um, for me. Make sure you guys follow him on social media. Is it Gabe Abelson? It's and it's at Gableson. Gableson. There it is. At Gableson. Make sure you follow him. Reach out to him. This guy knows more about anything in comedy than anyone else. So make sure you reach out to him. He's the funniest guy I know. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you all thank for you. tuning in. Uh, we will be back soon with another episode. And until then, hang in there, everyone. See you later.